Stewart. Remy. Welcome back. Thank you. It's been so oh, long geez. since we talked about the same things. It really, it's been a while. I um, And it's funny because it's, it's going to keep people guessing because we're going to record this. We're recording this on a Saturday. It's going to go live on the next Friday uh, because that was your original spot <laughs> to begin with. Here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like people don't realize that our actual recorded like so I've been I've been doing I took a whole month off of editing and recording and everything. I took a whole month off and um had missed a beat on the podcast and I don't think people realize that like we originally recorded in like mid May. Yes, I was just um we the day we recorded the first try on this I was, I just spent an hour and a half um, mumbling bad words to myself because I was working mm. on our grill, trying to get our, our grill up and running for the season. Nice. And now yeah. it's the 4th of July, so. <laughs> just in time. <laughs> exactly. We made it. Yeah, man. I uh, I was editing one today, the one that'll go out on the 19th with uh, Pat Flynn, and it, uh. I realized I recorded that on like May twenty something, and I was like, "Dang!" And now it's it's going out on July like nineteenth, like almost two months later. So, yeah. So so, well, I, we got a one week reprieve from getting all of the Baptists and Lutherans mad at us. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank God, thank God. You need any big plans this weekend for the fourth? Uh, no, um, the neighbors are hosting a party, and we, we, we're going to go hang about. Um, they shoot off a bunch of fireworks, and they're doing that Sunday night, nice. which is great, because that way we can all go sleep in. Um, our, our town shoots off fireworks at like 10 o'clock on Monday night, so oh, I'll be, wow. I'll, we'll all be in bed by 11 o'clock, so perfect. So, so that's a win for me, because so, i got to be at work the next day, so yay. Yeah, um... Do you, uh, um, so, so I, I'm trying to think about last time, last time we did this, um, you went from like reform Baptist to Lutheran. Yes. That was my last, so, last jump. So is it fair to say that July 4th is one of the most high holy feast days for the Baptist church? depends because like <laughs> every one of my answers about baptist things it depends um uh so um the, the one church where we spent 10 years at um the one church we spent 10 years at um it was probably the second most important um patriotic holiday there was because the church we spent 10 years at did a what do they call it? Um, I'm blanking on the name. Red, white, and blue Sunday. And it was the Sunday after, oh. the Sunday around September 11th. Oh. And what they did for this holiday is they honored all of the first responders, all of the police, all of the fire. And so they would give awards out to these people, and then they'd have a meal for them after the service. So it was a two-hour long patriotic service. Wow. Um, all of the hymns were, you know, My Country Tis of Thee and uh, Battle Hymn of the Republic and, you know, the good American songs. Of course, they sang the Star Spangled Banner because, obviously, and flags all the way across the back of the stage. 
So that was their big high holy patriotic day because they did it special. Um, Most Baptist churches, your your traditional Baptist country church, um, is going to sing patriotic songs on the Fourth of July. Um, They'll 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 usually sing the Star Spangled Banner, probably all four verses as you should. um, or, and they'll sing Battle Hymn of the Republic, you know, all the, 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 the patriotic hymns in the back of the bulletin, or in the back of the hymnal, right? Um, then there's usually that little stack of them in the back of the hymnal, and, and they'll sing three or four of those. Um, the, the, they'll, they'll, of course, acknowledge it in the, the prayer and things like that, um, you know, and, and be saying, hey, which is, which is what you should do, right? I, I think yeah. that's an appropriate place to do it. Um, and then usually the sermons tend to be something along the lines of, we should thank God for the blessing us with a nation where we are free to do this and not get killed by those Lutherans. Um, <laughs> so I, I mean, I, I think it's a fair point. I think it's a fair point that we should thank God. Um, you know, that we for the country we're in and the, and the rights and freedoms we're afforded. I cringe a little bit at, using American centric songs as hymns um, just because I don't want to detract from the gospel. Exactly. And and unfortunately, Twitter, Twitter Christians have like this, you should never ever thank God for ever living in America, you know, mentality (laughs) about them. Um, Yeah. uh, You know, just because they grew up in such a Christo centric or a, a country centric church. That, that yep. small Baptist church, so that they take that viewpoint, and then they say, well, any, and so they swing yeah. it all their way on that pendulum. I think a nice acknowledgement about it, and even if, you know, if it's, it happens to be a sermon, you know, on something about how rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's, hey, this is a perfect place to slide in, and we should be grateful that we don't live in the time of the Romans where the government's right. actively trying to murder us. This is a good thing, and we should be thankful for the Christian yeah. flourishing we are allowed. Absolutely. And um, I will say, though, to that end, I am always grateful that we don't have any flags in our sanctuary at all. And, like, I am very thankful for that. Um, yeah, in our church, it's down into the left. And, and that's a, a historical anomaly because all of the German Lutherans had to put a flag in in World War One, And they right. never took them out. So. Yeah. And, and once again, it and, and the church my dad preaches at that I grew up in, it's got the 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 Christian the, the the national flag and the Christian flags right next, right on the back on the stage, off to the side. Um, and honestly, you would never notice they were there. Ninety nine point nine percent of the time, it's just you, you notice them on the Fourth of July Sundays and the right Veterans Day Sun or the 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 Memorial Day Sunday. Right. Yeah, and it's. Uh... Yeah, I the church I grew up in, it was 4th of July, Memorial Day, Veterans Day. It was always like, let's deck everything out with Americana. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of off-putting to me. Well, and, and there's, there's a similarly, there's a, there's, there's a correlation issue too, because a lot of the small churches disproportionately produce a large amount of service members. Right. Um, and, and good, bad, or indifferent, um, they do that. And, and that's that's another issue because, you know, 
are you really going to tell grandma or mom that we're going to completely ignore this thing that your sons, you know, especially, you know, in 20 years in Iraq and Afghanistan, right? <laughs> your kids over there right now, you know, so, 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 so it's, it's a lot harder than you been in a more urban setting. Um, once again, in, in your Twitterverse church, <laughs> right? You know, which, which are generally more urban that, that, you know, it, it's not as personally connected there, if that makes sense. Well, and uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's like a, a teachable thing where um, we should, I mean, you know, oh, why, why don't we deck everything out with flags of the 4th of July? Exactly. And it's, and, uh, and, you know, it, it's, it should be a teachable thing, you know, like, well, what are we here to worship? And, and I think you know? some of this, you know, and, and I'm, I'm old, I'm old enough to remember back before September 11th, this wasn't <laughs> as big of a thing, right? Um, yeah, this, there was always like 4th of July Sundays, you know, you don't usually have that rolling, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't as big of an issue. Right. And, and, yeah. and so, and, and I think September 11th, because the nation hadn't really gone to war for functionally 40 years. I mean, outside of that little blip of Gulf War One, which was like six months of actual right. fighting, um, outside of that little blip, the United States had never gone to war for since Vietnam. Mm-hmm. You know, since since 1978, I want it 70, 75, something like that. So we've been out for third 25 years. And, and so no one knew how to properly respond to an American military movement, and especially something that was that big. And, and so we defaulted back to that World War II setting, right? Um, yeah. Of, of, yes, God and country were fighting for right, you know? And, yeah. And, and so we defaulted back to that setting, and no one had the have the wherewithal to realize that this was going to be a 20 year thing. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and so once, once it started here, here's something I living in Fayetteville, Fort Bragg, one thing that I, I I noticed as it wore on and people started to say like, yeah, like, why are we like, what are we still doing? Like, you know, you hit that 10 year mark and it's like, what are we doing? We could have, we could have paved the whole thing in glass by now. You know why are we still dealing with this? And uh, when it started to get to that point, I noticed that people um, were beginning to be openly against the war, like they were in Vietnam, but like very pro-soldier, like they were in World War II, which is fascinating that we were able to separate. You know, because in Vietnam we didn't do that very well. Separate the soldier from the war. You know, um, but this go around, we we really were able to say, like, I respect you for doing this. It's tough. I can't imagine. And I don't agree with the war, but it's still a hell of a thing you're doing. Exactly. And it's one of those interesting things in the American psyche that flipped. Right. Because prior to um, prior to Vietnam, really, um, the U.S. was always the moral good in every war um, per our right. press. Right. Whether we were or not, it's different. But to the American public, we were right. Right. Um, Vietnam flipped that, and it's the first time we were the the bad the baddies. Um, but because it was the first time we were the baddies, we didn't have the wherewithal to process the difference between the person fighting and the person 
prosecuting the war. Right. And, 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 and after Vietnam, because of all of those experiences and because of all the veteran Vietnam veterans returning, it kind of clicked a few things differently. Then we had Gulf War One, which was a big hurrah. I mean, it was basically the, the oh, good, we're not going to get stuck in a quagmire ever again war. We, <laughs> we did what we needed to do and we were done, right? Whoop. 1991, yeah. we're done. We're on it. Heck, even Bush loses re-election. The only time a president who started a war lost the re-election. Right. Um, and, and so, so, so you've got that, that weird juxtaposition going on um, because it was such a short war. It, it really was just a, okay, good. We, we're, we're, we're good now. We, we are the big superpower on the world and we can do this. And then we get to, to Iraq and Afghanistan again, and it's a quagmire and we, people have that nuance now that the soldiers aren't the baddies. They're just following right. orders, which is funny because, like, it's the anti-Nuremberg argument. Um, but they're just following <laughs> orders. And the the people who are actually prosecuting the war are the baddies, you know, the politicians. You know, and it flipped to, yeah. to being the politicians being the baddies, which, once again, that's a great American tradition of politicians are always the ones at fault, not the people who vote for them. So, um, Okay, but to be fair, the politicians are trash. Mostly yes. So it, mostly it's, yeah. My so my but, view, my here's my view is that they're they're either uh, corrupt already, or if they somehow the the guys that aren't corrupt um, get outspent, get shouted down, and don't get elected. The guys that are genuinely trying to do something. If you are genuinely trying to do something and you get in somehow by a miracle, you end up being corrupt. That, that's um, kind of my view. I, I don't know. But my, my favorite thing about American politics is that the Congress, the, the, the House of Representatives and the Senate, right? They have like mm-hmm. a 7% approval rating and they always have for like 30, 40 years. No one likes right. Congress. But every single congressperson keeps is getting like, reelected. <laughs> is, is, isn't just getting reelected, but genuinely beloved by their people, right? Um, yeah. I grew up in, in Northeast Indiana. Um, Mark Souter was our congressman for 12 years and good grief. The, the man got cancer this past year and everyone mm. loves the guy. I mean, we do. He's a great guy. So, so, and, and you go to every district, right? Oh, the rest of them are bad, but my guy's good. But the whole thing has a 7% approval rating. Basically we right. all agree that our guy is good. And, and so that's the problem, right? It, it's well. It, uh, so in North Carolina, we, I don't think we actually think that because we keep, we keep swapping ours out. Like every election, we get a new, a new guy in either Congress, Senate, or both. And it's like, it's like here we're like, oh, let's try Madison Cawthorn. And then it was like, oh, that was a mistake. That, that <laughs> <New>? was... <laughs> yeah. And so that's funny. A... You guys have that active democracy. And I, and I think, and this is just my guess, is I think it's because of your unique historical place in the country. North Carolina's always been a special little carve out. I could talk this for a long time uh, of thought in the country. Um, even um, uh, one of my, the favorite books I read in grad school, um, just so your listeners know, I have a master's degree in history. So, so I go off on these tangents. Um, one of my favorite uh, books I read was all about North Carolinian electoral politics in the civil war. And, if there was one state that exemplified the deep divisions of North and South, it was North Carolina. 
Like, oh, even the today. only reason North Carolina joined the Confederacy was because they were surrounded by Confederate states. That is the only reason they actually joined. They would not have joined the Confederacy if they didn't have Virginia up south, north and uh, the Nutters down south of South called South Carolina. False Carolina. <laughs> too False too Carolina. too large, too large for an asylum, too small for a republic. South Carolina. <laughs> That's my favorite quote about South Carolina. And boy, yeah, is we it uh. I mean, but even today, North Carolina is still very like that. We have, so like Fort Bragg, um, where I'm at, Cumberland County, it's interesting because uh, the city of Fayetteville is split with, you have like all your good old boys that joined the army and now they're at Fort Bragg and they're all Republican through and through. And then you have the native Fayetteville population, which is generally military dependent, very indigent, um, not very well educated in general and they're all very heavily democrat and then you have like out in the country areas a mix of both and it really just kind of depends on why you're that far out in the country if you if you're running a farm and it's your family's land out there then you know uh, you're a republican but if you got it through a usda loan because it was cheap you're probably a democrat and the whole state shakes out this way where you have all kinds of people in the country out in the fields, in the mountains that are farmers and whatnot, and they are all very heavily conservative. And then you have Asheville, Charlotte, Raleigh, Durham, Cary, and all the big metropolitan centers that are hugely Democrat. And we, we're always purple in every election. We're always purple. We get a and mix. My, and my heart goes out to you because campaign ads suck. But like, you know, I don't know, man. I can't. If I get involved, I get too involved. So I just don't get involved at all. There you go. You know, that's that's not a bad, bad take on it. Well, I could talk politics all day, but that's not why we're on the Lutheran answers. No, no, it's not politic answers. So tell me more about um, uh, what you like about Baptist theology, but ultimately what brought you to Lutheranism. Sure. Um, so let me give you the um, is that an old bay koozie, by the way? That is an old bay koozie, yeah. So here's here's my secret so that um, guests don't think I'm an alcoholic, is I have two beers going, and I have two old bay koozies. So you think I'm just drinking the one beer this whole time. Nice, but you're really an alcoholic. That's smart. <laughs> That's correct, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so, so to give you some background, as a Baptist, I frown upon you. Um, to give you some background... <laughs> Uh, so I, I was born and raised a Baptist. Um, my dad um, was saved, um, walked the aisle at a Southern Baptist church um, went right after, like two years after my mom and him got married. Um, like they got saved. They, they were unsaved. He grew up um, in an American Baptist church, um, but they were, you go to church on Sunday because everybody did because, you know, the 1960s. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so, so, um, he went to college. Um, when he was done with college, he he, he started working. Um, the only thing to do, um, he, he was in agriculture. The only thing to do, the only social event was church um, hmm, in, in a right. small town. So they start. They picked a church and started going. And uh, my dad converted. Um, and so I grew up literally in the Baptist church. The first place I visited when I was born was the Baptist church. Um not to get would, baptized. Not to get baptized. No, no. Goodness, no. <laughs> Horrible things. Baptizing unbelievers? Terrible. Um, how, how could you? Uh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, so so the first place I visited was a Baptist church when I was born. Um, 
you know, so um, my dad, um, when I was, let me think, four years old, we uh, he decided to go to seminary. Um, and so he was at seminary. Um, he was working full time at a group home on the weekends. That was because he could get his 40 hours in in two days and then be at seminary full time. And so um, since he was gone on Sundays, um, the church we went to was we literally unlocked the door. Um, I, I was the only time I missed church is if I was throwing up. Basically, that is functionally the only time mm. I remember ever missing church. Um, when we were on vacation, we'd find a church. Um, I we went to Delaware once on a family vacation, and we found a church. Um, it was weird, but whatever. They they were they were church, and so we went to church. Um, we always went to church, and. I did not skip a church service voluntarily until I was in grad school. And that was a night church. Hmm. Um, so very much always in church. So I grew up Baptist. I grew up um, regular Baptist. Um, as I always say, regular Baptist, we just use prune juice instead of grape juice. It keeps you regular. Um, <laughs> thank you. I'll be here the rest of the podcast. Um, so, which probably is short now. Um, so, so, but, 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 um, but regular Baptists are—I call them generic Baptists. Um, you, you really are. You're, it's a very generic breed of Baptist. Um, Baptists don't have organizational structures per se. Um, that's another thing that's different from Lutheranism, right? Lutherans have their synods and your, you know, your, right. your, you know, your, your, all this stuff. Baptists do not, right? My dad went to um, Grace Seminary. Um, that is a, oh, I can't remember what group they are off the top of my head. Um, I'm blanking on their group, their type, but they're, they're some they're, kind of Baptist. No, they're not. They're, uh, oh, they're, 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 ah, dang it. I can't remember. They're, they're more pacifist than we are. Um, one of those more pacifist groups. Um, but, but, um, Grace Theological Seminary. Um, so he went, he went there. Um, but it doesn't matter because he got his, uh, thing. So, so, um, so, so we were regular Baptists growing up. Um, my dad, um, became pastor in, I want to say when I was 11. Um, so he graduated seminary when I was seven. Um, he wanted to be a missionary to Mexico, but, uh, NAFTA just passed. And so in Indiana, everybody was losing their jobs to people in Mexico. Um, and factories were closing down. So churches were struggling financially. So support wasn't there. Um, so that, that dream died for him. And, and then, um, he, he ended up taking the pastor at our church because our pastor left in a bit of a issue. So, um, but he was qualified. He had his, he had his MDiv. The church was like, look, we all like you. Since you're not going to be a missionary, why don't you be a pastor? So my dad became the pastor of our church, but okay. regular Baptists are, are very generic. Um, the, the Baptist distinctives, you know, are, are all there. Um, nothing crazy or wild. Right. Um, the, the, my dad preached out of preaches out of the King James because the old people in the church only had King James Bibles. It wasn't a King James only church. It was just King James predominant because everybody had a King James Bible. Right. Um, but, but, but so, so it wasn't one of those more, you know, the women wore pants. Um, <laughs> so it wasn't, it wasn't off on that, that, that fringy side. Um, right. uh, I went to college at Pensacola Christian college, which is independent fundamental Baptist. Amen. Um, the way God mm. intended. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and so, so, so the independent fundamentalists are a little more conservative than what I grew up. Um, but I like them better because they're theologically a lot 
there's they're strict on their theology and i like strict mm. theology i like tight theology i don't like generically baptists will have a more loose theology like we talked about at the beginning with the uh the the fourth of july sundays right right um independent fundamental baptists will have those too don't get me wrong but <laughs> the, their their theology is going to be a lot more tighter about about things they, they, they're not going to be as loose right and so we did that um graduated got married um moved to that place and spent 10 years in an independent fundamental church a fairly large one once again not quite on that radical fringe. Um, you know, the women wore pants, you know, they, it wasn't a, you know, wasn't, you know, one of those really crazy ones. Um, wasn't right. King James only, um, did use the King James, but wasn't one of the KJV only, you know, God inspired the King James wasn't one of those. Um, after 10 years there, we realized that we were tired of it. Um, it was big. We were lost. No one cared. Um, we'd spent 10 right. years there and all of our friends moved away and, they restructured Sunday school, and that was the last straw because that's where all of our friends were. We're in our Sunday school class, and then that dissolved. It kind of dissolved everything. And so we started looking around, knowing that that wasn't for us, and we found a, a Reformed Southern Baptist church. Um, they just started. It was a church plant. Loved that church to death. By far, will always have a soft spot in that church, for, in my heart for that church, um, Remedy City. Great church, great pastor. Um, Jeremiah was a wonderful pastor, um, wonderful pastor. Loved him to death, and uh, love him to death. And I told when I told him I was becoming a Lutheran, he was just ecstatic. And I'll get to why mm. later. But but um, went to went to Reformed. Um, went to a Reformed church. Now that's Southern Baptist. Southern Baptists tend towards Reformed. They're not all okay. Reformed, right? Right. Um, so they're not all Calvinists, but they tend towards Calvinists. Their flagship seminaries, uh, especially Southern and Louisville, is staffed by Calvinists. Mm -hmm. um, so, so they 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 very much have a tendency towards um, Calvinism, and, and so very Reformed Baptist. Um, and it was there that I really started having problems. I'd always ha sort of had an underlying problem because I grew up in church, right? And when you grow up in church, you start asking yourself questions, questions like. Am I really saved? Because hmm. if you, what is, I grew up in a town of 2000 people. My dad had a, wasn't just a pastor. He was also um, in charge of the 4-H program in our county um, because the church was so small that he was bivocational. And, and so he was in a prominent place in the community. So how much of me being good was me being good because I knew I had to be good, right? Right. And how much of that was because I wanted to be good. And, and so I started having these questions, you know, um, and, and Baptist theology is really iffy on salvation, right? Um, because hmm. in Baptist theology, you, you pray the prayer and you're saved, right? <laughs> you have to right. confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's, it's in the Bible. And, and so you pray the prayer and then, and then, then, then you're saved, right? But, what does being saved mean? And as I got older and understood concepts better, I'm like, oh, crap. Am I being good because I have to be good? Or am I good because, you know, and, and I know how much of a sinner I am, right? Paul right. claims he's the chief of sinners, and I guess it's canonical, but it's kind of rough because I think I got him <laughs> beat. Um, Paul didn't grow up with the internet. Um, <laughs> so, so, um, so, so, yeah, how, how, uh, 
how does that play out? How do you how do you, you deal with that? And so when we got to that reform church, it really started sinking in. I just it started beating me up. And and with Calvinism, right, there is assurance of salvation because you're saved or you're not. And there's nothing you can do mm. either way. The prayer doesn't matter, right? God's either picked right. you or he didn't. There's nothing you can do one way or the other. And I love it. Trust me. It's it's a great talk about tight theology, right? Reform yeah. theology is like a vacuum sealed container inside a waterproof thermos, you know, put in cement. It's oh, yeah. Tight. You, you can't escape. And, and so... And so I'm sitting there going, well, maybe I'm not really saved because I do still sin, right? And, and not that I'm, I'm a, not like I'm one of those weirdo, you know, Methodists, right? Um, with their <laughs> holiness beliefs. But, you know, what's the difference between uh, sinning because you're human versus sinning because you're a sinner, right? Where's that line mm. drawn? And so I, I beat me up. It beat me up to no end. Um so by the time, um, so we, we moved from that town, uh, moved to Michigan, found another Reformed church. We're in that. COVID hit. Didn't go to church for like two years because Michigan. Um, but during those, even before then, though, I was starting to realize that I wasn't saved, right? I, I had that belief mm. that I was not saved, right? Because I prayed a prayer. And and I mentioned this last time, and since we're re-recording, I'll bring it up again. Most Baptists do not have faith in Jesus Christ. They, they do. But, but they have faith in a time and a place when they prayed yeah. that prayer to accept. So my faith was in this time when I was three years old. Ew, I didn't know what, when I was three years old what persecution was. <laughs> right. You know, I didn't know when I was three years old what all of this meant. And, and so I'm putting my, my faith in this time and this place and this area. And, and, and I, that was not a stable foundation for my faith. Mm-mm. Not at all. A time and a place is not a stable foundation. So, so by the time we moved here, I, I now live in South Dakota. By the time we moved here, I was like, I looked at my wife and I was like, look, if you and the kids want to go to a Baptist church, that's fine. If you guys want to go to a Reformed church, that's fine. I can't. Because I can't hear another message about how Jesus wants to save sinners but either A, those sinners he chooses to save, reform, right. or B, Jesus wants to save sinners, but if you don't love Jesus enough, you're not saved, right? And and so that cr- crushing of it just, just beat me up. It just beat me up. It killed me. So so by the time we moved here, I was like, I can't do this. Um, so, But we did start looking around, and... Baptist churches, I always say, fall into about three categories. Your first category is your um, independent fundamental Baptist churches, right? These okay. are the ones that, you know, the pastor Moses lawn in a three-piece suit. Um, <laughs> you have, you go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, minimum. Of course, you have your VBS. You've got your bus ministry. Amen, right? King James, amen. So that's your, 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 your indie fundy, that version. Then you have what I call professional church. Professional church, right? Professional church. They put on a show. Professional church puts on a show. They put on, they have the stage, the lights, the, the, the praise and worship band. They have, they have the best VBSs, right? They're the ones yeah. who go all out for a VBS. They decorate their church. They, they give the kids the t-shirt and the CD and all of that, right? They're the professional, they got the money, right? They're the professional church. And then you have what I like to call messy churches, and, and those 
are generally hippie. They're they're, they're hipsters, right? Mm. The pastor's usually going to be wearing an un, uh, uh, untucked collared shirt and blue jeans, right? And he'll walk around the stage and not have a pulpit, you know. And it's it's not quite professional church in terms of the stage and the production, but it's not um, because it's not as big, right? Um, and they they care a lot more in my mind. They, they care about people. They want to get involved in your life, right? Um, and, and I love those churches too. And, and so, our, our the town we moved into though had uh, two fundy churches and Baptists and uh, one professional church. Okay. And then they had one that was um, um, a, a, a more like a country church, right? Your 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 local country church. Nothing against those. I grew up in one, but I just I wasn't for me. I I didn't want to hear. Uh, 45-minute sermon every Sunday about how Jesus loved me. You know, that's what it is. You know, God right. loves you. Do good. Every Sunday. I, I, I don't need to do that. So I was like, I'm not wasting my time there. Um, there are two Reformed churches in town. Um, the, the old school, you know, the, the, the Dutch Reformed churches. Because okay. we are in South Dakota. Um, and so we have a couple of those. And then there were Lutheran churches. And um, thanks to the wonderful world of Twitter and your pastor, Joe... Yes, uh, I uh, started looking at Lutheran a little differently, and I, I'm ashamed to admit that I always thought Lutheran meant liberal. Um, growing yeah, I, up, I mean Elka's Elka's yeah, corner in the brand, man. They they do they do they they own it. So I grew up 45 minutes from Concordia, Fort Wayne. Fort wow. Wayne was our big city. We went to Fort Wayne to go to the mall, to go to the baseball games, you know, all that. Fort Wayne was my jam. I grew up 45 minutes from Concordia. I always thought Concordia were the liberal Lutherans because all Lutherans are liberal. Because the only mm. church, the only Lutheran church in my town was in Elka. They're the only yeah, church. 40 that, minutes from Fort Wayne, and that was the only Lutherans you had. The, wow. Do better, Missouri. Yeah. So here's here's where it gets funny. It was the church in town, once again, town of 2,000 people, so fairly conservative town, right? The only church that had a woman pastor. <laughs> The Wesleyans sort of did because they had a co-pastor, husband and wife tag team pair, um, you know, but the husband was listed on the top of the letterhead. It's pastors, you know, Jim and Peggy or whatever. So, 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 but the only one that had a purely like, she was the breadwinner. She was the pastor. He was the stay at home dad was the wow. Elkas. The town had an atheist. We had the town atheist. <laughs> Old Greg, the town atheist. <laughs> I can't remember what her name was, dang it. I even delivered her newspaper. She's the one who wrote the scathing op-eds in the local paper about once a month about how, you know, the Bible is full of a genocidal God because of what happened to the Canaanites and all of this. You know, right. your standard town atheist, right? Small town atheist. And, and so when she passed away, the Lutheran church did the funeral. Hmm. That's my view. <laughs> So, so growing up, Lutheran, <laughs> liberal, boom, yeah. um, 45 minutes from Fort Wayne. Um, I, I actually looked it up. The closest LCMS church to my town is in the town 20 minutes away. But I had no idea that they were conservative because they were Lutheran. And I just assumed Lutheran, liberal, hmm. because of, of my thing. And, and so yeah. my, first, my first realization that Lutherans weren't always liberal was, and I hate to admit this on, uh, in public, but it was Hans Feintz um, and um, Lutheran satire and um, 
Um, Patrick. Um, St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. I love that clip. Um, I played it actually. For, I taught it. I teach history too um, here at, at our local college. And, uh, and and I actually played that for our kids the day before St. Patrick's Day. Just because it's always worth watching that for any reason when you can. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, let's get rightly shrunk and throw up in the <laughs> Chicago River. It's hilarious. I'm so, uh, putting it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. So. So, 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 so that was my first realization that, wait a second, this is, this isn't like liberal, liberal, right? And then I ran into Joe, um, on Twitter, um, randomly and my goodness. Yeah. You know, it's like, Oh, you guys are theologically conservative, huh? Mm-hmm. And so I started looking into it more and started doing more research. Um, that's, and I, and I always knew there were different branches of Lutheranism, but I never really researched them that much because I mean, right. It's like, diff, you know, like you could have a slightly more conservative version of something liberal and it's still going to end up liberal in 10 years. Right. Um, right. And that's why I kind of figured all the Lutherans were like. And, and so I came across the LCMS, you know, did some more research. And so when we moved here, I was I reached out to Joe and asked him because we are in South Dakota and our town has one, two, three, three or four Elkas. One LCMS, wow. one Wells, one Free Lutheran, and one that's like a cousin of the Elkas. Um, I can't think of what they are off the top of my head, but there's a, there's a split off of, basically they split off of Elka for some reason. Is it LCMC? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, LCMC, that's it. And, and so we have all these Lutheran churches, and I was like, okay, give me the rundown. Outside of Elkas, which I knew were the liberals. What what types what what are these times and what do they believe and what makes them different right and so so um, Hans and uh, and Joe gave me some pointers on on what's the difference like why wells are special and all of that stuff um, and and so I ended up going with um, with uh, with the LCMS church in town and and mm-hmm. we started going there never went to a liturgical church in my life never did um, growing up Baptist Baptists have their own liturgy right you sing mm-hmm. three hymns. You um, pass. You, you sing. You sing a hymn. You you, you do some announcements. You um, sing another couple of hymns. You pass the plate. Um, you do a special music and you dismiss for junior church while people are shaking hands. Maybe one more hymn depends or special music, and then you sit down for the sermon. Uh, altar call if you're one of the altar call churches or not. Hymn at the end. Either way. Have a good day. I love That's, the special music, man. I love it when those happened. Let's sing. I, let's have some some person with a really bad voice sing. I come to the garden. <laughs> <laughs> so growing up in the Pentecostal church, our liturgy was very similar. Um, it was a lot more. It was like forty five minutes of praise and worship, but like it was a lot of modern, like hip worship, and then yep, a lot of dancing, running up and down the aisles. Yeah, you got to. And then, uh, and then there was like the slow, we'd move into the slow jam so you could really like feel the spirit or whatever. And then, uh, yeah, dismissed for kids church, the special music though. And the Pentecostal church, let me tell you, it was great. You get those choir ladies up there and they just crush it, bro. Swaying back and forth. Oh man. Amazing. So what one fun fact about me is I am a Gideon, right? I'm the, the little Bible people. 
Mm -hmm. Um, That's the easiest way to describe it. It should be a lot more than that. I've got issues, but uh, that's another podcast. Um, But um, but, um, as part of the Gideons, right, I did church ministry. And so we go around to churches, you know, because we got to raise funds for other Bibles, right? Mm -hmm. To to place the Bibles in hotel rooms and stuff like that. So um, we do church ministry and and they'll have a Gideon Sunday where the Gideon speaker will come. And usually it's after the sermon. You know, it's not usually it's just part of the announcements, right? And they'll let the Gideon speak for about 10, 15 minutes. And then at the end, they'll either give us a check or they'll say, you know, all the offerings going to the Gideons today or something like that, or have a door offering, something, Um, which is great. And and so, um, so, so as part of that though, we, uh, I, I got to go to a lot of churches, right. And my absolute favorite church was the American Baptist church Mm. and the American Baptists, are not my skin color. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a black church. It's a good yeah. old black church. I loved it, man. Those ladies oh, yeah. sing. The music was mm-hmm. pumping. I mean, this yeah. little light of mine, I'd never heard this little light of mine down that way, and I will never forget it. Dude, it no, was- well, because, and uh, so that is, that is to me, that is like the best part of any black church in America. It's like, these are people that are like legitimately happy to be Christians. They and, are like uh, it's so joyful, man. And I don't know, I don't if know. The I just could catch half of that joy, man. It'd be a game changer. Well, I don't know. I uh, so one of the one of the ministries that I'm a little involved in and that I love and support is the Central Ohio Lutheran Immigrant Mission, and they have uh, there's a uh, Ethiopian Lutheran church, Ebenezer, and again, just joyful, happy to be christians and like sometimes i just you know i wish like i wish i could take some of some of some of the people i know on like a field trip you know to like an ame ame zion church and it's like can we let's learn how to like sing a little bit and dance and be a little excited about it enjoy being around fellow christians and with god yeah yeah Um, i I always make the joke that um, you you grew up pentecostal so you know more hymns than lutherans do um (laughs) <laughs> but the, the that song, there's joy in serving Jesus as I journey on life's way. And anyhow, the chorus it goes, there's joy, joy, joy in serving Jesus. And, and we always joke to the Baptist, like, there is joy, joy, joy in serving <laughs> Jesus, joy along life's narrow way. And it, it's just like, how can you sing these happy songs with such droll? It's like, get some life, people. Joy to the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, yo, be happy about this. We're crying out loud. You're Christians. You should be. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like what Paul says, you know, if if the resurrection did not happen, then I should be the most miserable of all men. And I'm like, the resurrection happened. He wasn't telling you to be miserable. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's making the counterpoint here. Right. You should be joyful. Yes. And, and so. So, yes. So, anyhow, I got to experience a lot of different churches. But that, that to say, um, going to a liturgical church, um, going to that, – that was phenomenal. I love, love liturgy. My dad and I always talked about how the worst part about the Reformation was jo- losing the beauty mm. in it, right? Churches became pole barns. Um, you know, and, and, yeah, the building doesn't matter. I, I understand. The church is the members. The building is not the church. 
Um, and you have to keep that in mind because when the government decides that you should all be fed to the lions, you're right. not getting a building. <laughs> Your building's not going to be there. That being said, there is something about the liturgy and about the beauty of it and and the the connection, right? Um, you're Pentecostal, so you know about catching the spirit, right? Mm-hmm. And and the Lutherans have a way of doing that without being crazy about it. You know, it, it, it does. It, it, it amplifies. It, it, it's like a meeting between heaven and earth, right? Yeah. With that liturgy. And that's glorious and beautiful, and I I, I just love that. Um, and so then I can started I, looking. At, yeah, I'm sorry. Can I ask you a question just about the? And this is yeah. a completely left field thing, so I apologize. But so you're you're into history. Lutherans, we like to joke. Uh, Will Wheaton had said it on the 10 minute Bible hour one time, um, and and we always like to joke about it. Like we are the Western Catholic Church, you know. Um, historically speaking, have you ever like looked at, you know, like the like trail of blood or whatever that is, you know, like, uh, is there any weight to any of that? Like, (laughs) no, are are Lutherans the historic Western Catholic church, you think? No. Um, (laughs) if you want to be the historic Catholic, if you want to be the historic, holy and Catholic apostolic church, you'd best learn Greek. Um, Mm. And, and grow some onions on your steeples. Um, they have the closest claim of anyone to to being the historic Catholic and Apostolic Church. If you're going from a historically tight background, um, okay. I do read a lot of church history. Um, church history. I, I studied um, British de um, British uh, decolonization for my master's degree. Okay. Um, church history is like my side hobby that I do for fun because I don't know Greek. I know enough Greek to be bad about it, and I know enough <laughs> Latin. I took one year of Latin in college. I've, I've learned some Greek. I don't know any German, so, so church history is tough for me. But I read a lot of secondary church history sources, and um, there's some really good books out there. Um, I, I, I have lists that I can recommend to you. But, um, but if you're looking at historically historical Christianity – I think Lutherans are, I really think the Presbyterian um, structure is the closest you get to an Acts-based church. Um, okay. Because if you look at historically how churches are structured, um, local churches in, in the time of the Romans, right, were not large because you didn't have church buildings. And you didn't have vehicles. So to go to church, when you went to somebody's house, more likely. They were almost all house churches. Right. And once they got – and you couldn't have them too large because, A, large crowds attract Romans who mm-hmm. have a tendency to want to throw you to the lions. Um, and, B, once again, it, it's a matter of physically being able to get there, right? Um, who are your first Christians? They're a hodgepodge. You're going to have slaves, right? And so they – don't have a lot of free time, right? Um, Roman slavery is terrible, and and they don't they don't exist. They're, they're persona non grata. They're literally non-existent people, um, and so the the churches had to meet. Um, they they couldn't meet for a long time, and they couldn't meet very far away. So you had a bunch of house churches pop up in a, in a larger city. 
smaller towns would only have one because there weren't a lot. Or the, the local synagogue, right? If everyone converted, um, right? But 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 you're not going to have uh, a lot of people. Um, and so what they do is they would have their their pastor, um, and the pastors would occasionally get together, right? Especially in a larger city, right? So if you're in Thessalonica, right, you probably have a hundred house churches. So those hundred pastors will get together, right? Because once again, we're talking about transportation issues. So those guys might meet monthly, right? And that's where you get your bishops from, because they need somebody to go and represent their church at the council of this this Nicene council got called, right? Right. We need somebody from our area to represent us there. Obviously, every single pastor can't go. So they'd get together and elect their bishop, right? And then their bishops would go to the councils. Um, and so you have a very um, grassroots, organic network, in, in my reading of it, that, that, that grows up. And, and so you have your, your, your churches, then your church pastors get together and, from the area and elect a bishop who then meets with other bishops to make these decisions as a church. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, by, you know, really by around four or five hundred um, you you get the the Pope showing up in a big way because the Roman Empire has fallen, um, and and that's when the Pope shows up in a big way because he has to assume temporal powers because there is a power vacuum, and right. he's the only person representing the major major Roman constituencies at that point. Yeah, um, but the Pope has always been there because of Peter or something. Yeah, of course. They, they, they've certainly never had one time in the where they had three separate competing popes. That never, <laughs> right, never, um, never yeah. happened. Um, but 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 there is a, a there is a historically bishop of Rome, right? Because mm-hmm. Rome elects a bishop, right, to go to these councils. Right. Um, and the bishop of Rome generally is going to have a lot more power because, oh, I don't know, it's the capital city of the empire, right. Um, so, so naturally, that guy's going to have a little more power, especially when, oh, I don't know, Christianity becomes the official religion of Rome and all pagans are banned. Right. You know, all of a sudden, this guy's got a lot more temporal power just because he's the closest head honcho to the power. And so I don't begrudge the Pope, especially in the early days, for taking that power because somebody had to have it. Right. There's a power vacuum. Right. Somebody has to fill it. I'm glad a bishop filled it instead of a bloodthirsty, you know, some a warlord. Yeah. Yeah. And so so I'm glad, grateful for that. And, and unfortunately, once again, through centuries, you build up a lot of plaque. Right. If you don't brush your teeth every day, what happens? Your plaque builds up and eventually you go to the dentist and they like take that scraper and just start going to town on you. And so what Luther was, was really a dentist. And he mm. looked at the Roman church and started scraping off a lot of plaque. Right. Right. And that's what caused the reformation is all that plaque gets knocked off. And all of a sudden you see these teeth underneath. Mm. And so, so there's a lot of bureaucratic structure that built up. And then of course the council of Trent completely dashed any hope of reconciliation between Luther who wanted to reform the Catholic Church. Right. And the Catholic Church. Yeah. And so, look, when we say the Apostles' Creed, or the Nicene Creed at church, I still say Catholic Church. Yeah, I we do too. Think, I ain't saying Christian Church like the LSB says. 
The LSB yeah. should have never changed we, that language. Well, I I I was on a history podcast uh, talking about the Reformation and what it's like to be a Lutheran today um, with a couple of Baptists who were like. It was neat because I was treated like I was a part of some great ancient religion. <laughs> you are, uh, you know, you know. Well, I mean, yeah, but like, you know, it was like this. There are. Can you believe there are still Lutherans? We found one, you know. And it, uh, but it was, you know, I brought up that point that Luther, Luther did not feel like like he was leaving the Roman Catholic Church. He felt like the Roman Catholic Church was leaving him. Yes. Right. That that he said, hey, look, here's how we continue on as Christians. And the whole of the Catholic Church said, mm, nah. We're gonna, and, and that's we're really gonna... what, what went down, yeah. And, and, yeah. and so, so I still say Catholic Church because, to be frank, and this is the problem where Baptists get into, right? Um, Baptists do this all the time. Um, they don't have a good grasp of church history hmm. um, because they don't need one, because right. they have the Bible. It's me and my Bible. Functionally, yeah. And, and so mm-hmm. so their grasp of church history as a rule of thumb in, in the, among the lay people is very weak. Um, they don't know where they came from. You know, the, 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 the furthest back they go is to the church they split off from or their founding pastor, either or. Yeah. I literally, growing up Pentecostal, it was the same way. I did not know the church fathers even existed until I got in, I'm serious, until I got into Reformed Theology, I legitimately thought that the Bible was preserved by God, because this is what I was taught, that the Bible was miraculously preserved from the time of Jesus, and that any other Christian writing that may have happened in between Jesus and today literally was lost time. If any writings did happen, they were. I thought that there was just nothing but oral tradition and this is how Christianity has always been practiced, the way we Pentecostals do it. And I had no idea. I had no idea that I could open up literally Tertullian and see the liturgy explained. Yeah. Who knew? Yeah. Yeah. Go figure. <laughs> and, and so, yeah. So that's 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 this overarching problem that, 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 that happened. And so, so, yeah, a Lutheran is kind of an archaic thing, right? Um, and, and so, so, yeah, so... So we are the Western Catholic Church. Sure. If you want to believe that, that's fine. Yes. There is no Western Catholic Church. Um, it's a hodgepodge. Everyone is, right? Um, yeah. Do you believe the Apostles' Creed? Do you believe the Nicene Creed, right? Um, and that's another thing. Um, it is This is one of my many pet peeves that I have on, 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 on Lutheranism that, that makes me twitch, is that there does tend to be a belief, especially in, in Lutheranism, that we are the holy Christian and apostolic church. And therefore Mm -hmm. people will find us naturally because they want to be Christian. Hmm. And then they wonder why the Baptist church has more converts than they do. And more people go to the Baptist church. Well, you know, they actually do things to witness to people. Mm -hmm. Um, The the Lutherans have a very, and I was talking, I was talking about this the other day is that it's a, and I think it's an eschatological issue because Lutherans are generally amillennial, right? Mm-hmm. And because you're amillennial, you don't ha- have to work for the kingdom at all because the kingdom is going to come. We pray, hmm. thy kingdom come, right? 
and we think it's just going to pop on down one of these days and everything will be fine. And, and so, whereas Baptists are very dispensationalist and very much believe that the end times will come, and our goal is to get as many people saved before then as we can. Yeah, or in some cases to encourage the end times to come, to well, somehow set up the things that need to be set up and, and yeah. that's that's more of a fringy thing there, there aren't a lot of oh Baptists that's uh, that's that's pentecostalism that's that's okay, what i grew yeah. up in yeah so 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 there the baptists will baptists were happy in 1968 when jerusalem was conquered by israel they were happy because that's another step that needs to happen so that jesus can come back right but they weren't going to go out there and conquer it themselves and then turn it over to Israel, right? So, so there's there's that nuance there where if right. it happens, we're happy for it, but we ain't going to really push for it because because we want to get more people saved, right? Right. The, lo- the longer that end times takes, the more people will be saved, the more people we can get saved. And, and so there's this urgency about it, um, and it even plays down to children. So when you're a Baptist and you have kids— because we don't believe in baptismal regeneration as Baptists, mm-hmm. your goal, your primary mission field is your kids. Right. Your goal is to get your kids saved. You need to get your kids to understand that they are sinners. Jesus died for them and they can be, they can go to, to heaven. Basically they can be reconciled. Right. If you want to go the cheap way I learned as a camp counselor at a Baptist camp, ABC, Admit you are a sinner, believe Christ died for your sins, and confess that you want him to be your savior. ABC, baby. I can get you saved right now, Remy. Uh, <laughs> that's all you need to know. Yeah. ABC. Um, that's kind of so, right, though. Like... It is. It, it is and it isn't, right? right? That's yeah. the problem. So... As I, I, I look at them, I look at Lutherans and go, and, and Lutherans and Baptists, Lutherans do not like Baptists at all. And and Baptists are like that that um, scene from Mad Men, I don't even know who you are. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but Lutherans have this thing about Baptists, and I'm just sitting there going, we're more like you and I. <laughs> um, and Dr. Eveling it, you know? <laughs> because because we have so many similarities, and, and it's hilarious, but... <laughs> because Lutherans are like, no, no, we can't be that similar. But but um, but one of the big differences is that Lutherans will, they will baptize their babies. They will send their kids to uh, be catechized, and that's good enough. Hmm. Yeah, you know, it's the bane of many pastors. I promise. I I, I would believe it, but but it, it really is and. It's great, trust me. As coming from a Baptist where you have guilt just always looming right here all the time up above you, you 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 have this guilt looming all the time and it's terrible. And Lutheranism is like, no, you don't have guilt because are you baptized? Are you taking communion? Are you receiving confession and absolution? You're saved. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. And, and it's wonderful. It it is wonderful, but at the same time, it's also very. It also it easily allows for a shallow belief system. Yeah, it can. And and, and I think one of the biggest problems, and I, I I'm starting to really notice this, is that Lutherans have lowered bars 
to entry. They've made catechism class too easy. Yeah, no, 100%, 1,000% agree. I was just talking to another guy on this on this show it has it'll air after this but that was exactly my thing is how many kids get up there on that sunday whatever sunday you do it everybody there's like two or three different sundays that people do it on but whatever your sunday is how many times does a kid get up there and they're asked what is the second commandment and they rattle it off wrote and then the pastor says what does this mean and they go oh 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 and then the pastor goes, oh, well, you know, haha, let's all laugh about it. And we'll just, you know, you still pass and we'll make sure to tell him later. You know, it's just nerves or no, no, fail that kid. Put him back through catechism. Bingo. Sorry. Uh, and, and, and that's huge. That's huge. And, um, yeah. you know, it, it's one of those things we've got. We got um, the other thing, it, it bothers the snot out of me. Right. So my daughter goes to the Christian school here in town. Right. It's mm-hmm. your standard generic Christian school, non-denominational Christian school. So Baptist, um, but but non-denominational Christian school. It's the only Christian school here in town because it's a small town. There's yeah. 15, 1600 people in town. Right. We don't have the volume for a Lutheran school. We, we probably could pull it off if we had enough financial backing to create an endowment and roll it that way. But, you know, but. My daughter is the only, the only kid from our church who goes to that school. Hmm. We don't have a Lutheran school. And most of them, most of the kids, our pastor just started homeschooling his kids. But most of the kids who are in our congregation go to the local public school. Nothing against public schools per se. But I'm uh, I'm, I'm chaos. I'm sorry, go ahead. As James K. Smith put it, and you are what you love, you don't know the waters you swim in. Yeah. Right? A fish doesn't know what water is, right? He doesn't think about water because that's just what it, this is, that's what he's in. Yeah. If if you live someplace that doesn't, if you're swimming in the waters, right? No matter how good the waters are right we 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 baptize our kids we might bring them to church every sunday our pastor last sunday was literally saying luther said you should come four times a year at least i think you should be able to at least make it once a month our pastor was saying you should come once a month to church a baptist church would be like if you ain't every sunday every time the doors are open not every Mm -hmm. sunday Sunday morning sunday night and wednesday night you need to get right with god Hmm. and here's our lutheran pastor going you know, I ought to show up at least once a month. And so you've got kids who are, let's say, they got baptized. They're showing up maybe for Sunday school during the school year, maybe to church. Let's, let's be optimistic. Three out of four Sundays. Let's be optimistic. They, we're we're going to go with a good Lutheran, right? Mm-hmm. They, they got baptized. They go to church mostly most Sundays. They go to Sunday school. They go to catechism. Except their whole life, they're going to a public school that is telling them everything that isn't Lutheran or yeah. Christian even, right? And, and so the Lutherans here are like, well, we can't send our kids to that Christian school because they are they teach, you know, that you should pray a prayer to get saved. Right. And I'm like, look, 
you guys need to quit. You need to make allies where you can make allies, right? We don't yeah. live in Germany. We don't live in Christendom. Yeah, we live in a well because you've got you've got you've got five hours a week or five hours a month of Christianity for your kids. If you're not doing devotions at home, like you should be doing dads, you should be doing devotion every night. And if you're, so if you're not doing that, you have your five hours a week at church and for your, or a month at church for your kids, five hours a month at church versus what? 160 hours a month at their public school where, they're being taught literally the opposite of everything you want them to know. It's easier, it's better to send your kids to the Baptist school and just correct their doctrine than it is to have them lose their doctrine altogether. I mean, I'm, I'm a big yeah. chaos on, on Maine guy. I'll just say it. I don't think you should be sending your kids to public school at all if there's an alternative. And I know a lot of people say, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's fine and it's okay. It's not. It's not. They hate what you believe. They hate your children. And they want your children to hate you. Yeah, and 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 so yeah, so 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 here we have you know this this easy grace. We're not hard catechizing our students, right? Mm-hmm. We're not saying thou shalt. We're not drilling it into their heads so that they understand the doctrine. Even we're just drilling it in road anyway, right? What's the second commandment and what does it mean? And you just rattle off what Luther said, right? Well, good grief! A monkey can memorize. I mean. Why do you think we sent apes up into space first? Because they can push buttons in a certain order anytime. We mm. can train monkeys to do this. We need to instill doctrine. You know, we need to make sure that they, not that the kids can just recite it, but that they know, truly know what it means. Not right. what does it mean, but okay, you can memorize what it does mean. Now put it in your own words. Yeah. You know, get deep on that. And so, so yeah, we don't do that. And, and, and once again, tons of benefits of Lutheranism compared to a Baptist theology. But one thing that I have noticed is that, and, and they're just baffled that they're, they're, well, our numbers keep going down and people aren't coming back to baptize their, you know, their kids. That's because they don't believe. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it's funny because once again, I'll, I'll do the, the, we're not so different, you and I, with the Baptists and the Lutherans, right? So, so Lutherans, right, you, you, you're, you're let, let's go from bed, from birth, right? You're baptized, go to church, you get catechized. You can walk away anytime you want. You can walk away from Christianity anytime you want. You have that option. You can come back to Christianity anytime you want too, right? Because um, we were talking about baptism when I was uh, going through membership class for my church. And I I made the comment that baptism literally just opens the door for church to to be a Christian. It opens the door to the church. You can walk out Mm. that door. You can walk back into that door. In Lutheran theology, functionally what it does is it just opens a door. Hmm. Good, bad, or indifferent, that's what it does. And so we'll have people who, in Baptist churches, right, you pray the prayer, you're saved, right? That opened the door to the church, praying that prayer. And a Baptist will walk away from it, right? So somebody will pray the prayer, they'll live the life for a year, and then they'll, you know, go back living in sin, right? And a Baptist has two beliefs here. One, they never really meant the prayer. Right. I prayed the prayer, but you never meant it. So that means you never really were truly saved. Or the other flip of the coin is they walk away and then they come back. Well, they were just backslidden. Right. And Lutherans have a lot, a lot of backslidden members. Yeah. 
Well, and we also we also fall into this trap. I've noticed that at my church, it took some young blood and a fresh church council to get in there to clean out the church. We we found like an old electric organ that hasn't worked in twenty years, but it was just sitting in the back of a room for no reason. There was a guy at our church who used to make little luminaries out of milk jugs around Christmas, and then I don't I don't know. Um, where he went, if he left or passed away or whatever, but no one else did the luminaries, but we kept collecting the empty milk jugs for him. We do, we threw away like 250 milk jugs, empty. Why? What were those doing here for 20 years? Not doing anything, man. And, and so we have this tendency I've noticed to say, uh, well, you know, it's always worked. So we're just going to keep on, doing what we've always done and there's no need to change anything. There's no need to look at anything. And we're just going to, this is just how we are. Atrophy into nothing. Yeah. You know, and and it is, it's a strong belief in entropy. And and once again, I think this is eschatological in its nature too, because there isn't this urgency that Christ is coming back and it's going to be terrible. Yeah. You know, it's this urgency that everything will eventually get better because it's rooted in this old Christendom mentality, right? Because when Lutheranism was founded, it was founded in Germany in the 1500s, where the biggest existential threat was the Moors and mm. the Turks and the Muslim invasions. That was the big existential threat of the time. They never, Lutheranism could never comprehend an internal threat to Christendom. Mm. Actually, oddly enough, the Roman Catholics actually figured it out because they viewed Lutheranism as an internal threat to Christendom. Right. But Lutherans Hmm. think Christendom is Christendom, and Christendom will always remain Christendom. And even though we've now moved into, especially in the West, a very post-Christian society, in which we are reverting in a lot of ways to pre-Christian morality, with with the vestiges of Christianity just clinging onto life... um, great book on this is by tom holland it's called dominion if you haven't read it you should great book highly recommended it's it's on it's on how how we still live in christendom even though we're not christians anymore Um, i think i think it's wild that uh spider-man wrote a book it it it, my my favorite thing is so he's a british historian and every he gets tagged so many times in tom (laughs) holland's post it's hilarious it's one of my favorite things is watching him going Oh, a movie must have been released because I'm getting tagged all of a sudden by people who probably aren't reading ancient history. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's I thought um, they're reading I had, about Caesar crossing the Rubicon. I had I had a similar conversation the episode that airs next week with Pat Flynn because he's a philosophy guy and a fitness guy and a Catholic, but there is another Pat Flynn who is an entrepreneur guy. And so they they actually did a whole podcast together about what it's like for them to be confused for each other all the time. So, yeah. So, nice. but yeah, similar similar thing. So so but yeah, so so without this internal threat of of Christianity falling, the Lutherans generally don't have this dread that it could you're one generation away from losing the faith. Yeah. Whereas Baptists, because we don't have history, we no, we're one generation away from losing the faith. Yeah. So we redouble yeah. our evangelical evangelicalism, right? Um, um, the, the 
even though the Evangelical Lutheran Church is has that name, does not mean the LCMS or the AALC should not be evangelical. <laughs> yeah. Just because they have the name doesn't mean you give it up. Hmm. So... So that's uh that's uh, that's one of my, my my bigger pet peeves is because growing up Baptist, right? I know I know for a fact that I could go to my 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 old Baptist church, the one that has that red, white, and blue Sunday, and I could probably grab a couple of teenagers who grew up in that church, and they could probably school some a lot of the people, not all of them, but quite a few people in my LCMS church who spent their whole life here you know, in our 60 years, 70 years old, they could probably school mm. them on basic Bible knowledge. Yeah. And, and because, because it's just, they swim in it. And the Lutherans don't swim in it. And so it worries me to no end. Because, I mean, if you don't catch the next generation for real, not this whole, yay, you did your thing, and now you can take communion. You you yeah, you church. graduated Christianity. Good for you. Yeah, and, and I get the pastors. Trust me, I know this is a big frustration on the pastor's part. Mm -hmm. But the pastors are also responsible for cranking that back up to 10. Yeah, well, a lot of it, a lot of it, I think, comes down to dads. A lot of dads aren't doing their bit. Um, and you can't expect... The pastor's not there. His goal is not to raise good Christian children for you. Yes. His goal is to show you how to raise good Christian children. So, I think yeah. a lot of that, a lot of that, needs to be placed at the feet of fathers. Yeah. Um, a and, lot of that failure. And, and once again, too, this is a cultural problem. Um, ben Sass, um, senator from Nebraska, wrote a great book called um, on, "The Vanishing American Adult." I had to look up the title of this. "The Vanishing American Adult," and in it, he talked about he was talking about the disruptions of industrialism on society because prior to the industrial revolution in the 1870s, 80s, 90s, everyone was de facto a subsistence farmer. Trade was mm. not big, right? Trade was long and hard and arduous. Things cost a lot. But because of that, right, you, you were nearly subsistence, you know, like you might have a few townspeople who were specialists in like, you know, like, look, look at Springfield, Illinois, when Abe Lincoln was there, right? You got a couple of blacksmiths, some coopers, you know, some, some skilled tradesmen, you know, leather workers, some lawyers, some doctors, right? You've got, right. you know, but for the most part, people came to town for church on Sundays and to trade. And if they had to do business, you know, so maybe you might go to town twice a week at the most. Most right. of the time was spent on a farm with your family doing this stuff. Industrialization blows that to smithereens, right? We have cities pop up. Trust me, I love industrialization. I am sitting in air conditioning right now talking <laughs> to you on an iPad. Industrialization is a wonderful thing. But it completely wrecked lifestyle. Yeah. Um, I live in South Dakota. My kids were born in Indiana. My mom was born in Pennsylvania. Um, my great-grandparents were born in Europe. Wow. Right? Yeah. Now, there are some people whose great-grandparents were born in the same town that they live. There are some. But industrialization, and now post-industrialization, has just completely fragmented 
these homogenous communities. And, and part of this fragmentation is that there aren't grownups around who aren't your parents. There right. aren't grownups around who aren't your parents. And the church has failed miserably about making sure that the transient, like me, right, who don't live in one place for terribly long, get plugged in to a family at their church. Say, hey, you just moved here. Your mom and dad live, you know, 10 hours away. Meet your new grandma and grandpa. <laughs> because, yeah. and this is a problem across all churches. This is not just a Lutheran thing. This is a problem across all churches because my wife and I are islands raising our kids. Mm -hmm. And I don't have somebody I can just turn to and say, hey, when you ran into this problem, how did you deal with it? Or how did you give your kids the talk, right? And, and, and hmm. my parents don't didn't have anyone to lean on either. And so it's not my parents' fault because they never learned it, right? It never... Because they were the they were transient, and my grandparents, guess what? They were functionally transient too. Mm -hmm. and, and so, we don't have large, tight knit communities anymore. And the church needs to do that too, because kids need a person other than mom and dad to talk to sometimes, right? Yeah. Like you don't want to tell mom and dad that you have a crush on that girl over there. That's embarrassing. Well, and it's, and you also like I don't know like. You learn things, especially as a boy, you learn things being around other men and being a part of a group of men is, is so important for, for yeah. young boys. And I will stand and I will stand on this soapbox all day long. Churches need to quit age segregating their congregations. Yep. 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 Thank you. You, Thank you, you. gender segregate. I'm OK with to a degree. I think there still should be some mix, but but I understand I I, I understand the, the point and concept of a men's group. Right. But there should be a, a men's group that I can take my boys to, right? There's yep. not a seven thirty in the morning Bible study during the school year, because <laughs> then right. my boys can't go, right? But there should be a group that of men that I can go to, and, and I can't start this, right? Look, I'm I'm younger-ish for the church. Um, and, and I'm new to the Lutheran church, right? I've only been at my church a year. I've only been a Lutheran since Easter. Um, you can start it, but you can start it, do it. But I don't even know where to start it or how to start it. That's the other problem, right? Is, is because I, we, we were talking about this with a group of people at our church, right? Is that especially in our town, there is still a lot of clans, right? Like grandma and grandpa, and then the aunts and uncles, and the nieces and nephews and grandkids, you know, they also go to church. So when church is over, they already have their own thing. They don't have room for more outsiders. Right. And, and so they're and 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 they don't see the need for it. Right. Because they have their group. They have their support mm. network. And especially once again, as we're moving into a post-Christian age, you know, we have to. I don't like thinking of it this way because it's it's depressing to me, but we have to start thinking Benedict option on some things. Hmm. We have to start thinking about that. I mean, you know, when you start having diversity, equity, and inclusion meetings, where that ends up leading 
could easily cost you your job if you want to stand for what the truth is. Yeah. And you know what? Yeah. I don't have a fallback outside of flipping burgers at Mickey D's. Yeah. You know, I would love to have a network where a support network where we start building these things. We should start building Christian society again because Christian society has fallen. But Lutherans are still sitting around thinking that they live in Christendom and it's it's just rough to get through. Well, Stuart, you've given me a lot to think about. Um, I think probably a lot for our listeners to think about. We're running to the end here. I wanted to thank you for coming back on. Um, Absolutely. I'm sorry about the whole echo thing earlier. Um, by the yeah, way, there no, were some fine. questions. Did you have any questions um, that were sent in by your readers that you wanted me to answer real quick? Not, not, uh, I don't know where those <laughs> went. I know I had them uh, prior, but. No, I will. Uh, I will have you back on sometime to talk more about the differences between where you were and where you are. And I will have some some good questions lined up. I know Sounds last great. time we had some discussion about things like predestination and whatnot, and I'd love to to dig into those things again. So, absolutely, that sounds like a blast. Um, just let me know what works for you, and we'll we'll r- run it back. <laughs> awesome, brother. Thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you. Have a great day. You too.